Hello, welcome back. This is Country Roads Confidential here at Earsports.com. I am Mike Casaza, joined today by Chris Anderson. And we're going to talk about a new topic today that you haven't heard anything about for the past several days and weeks. Did you know that college sports are on pause? It's a, a sudden development. I got an alert in my phone. I woke up. I had no idea. I thought it was all a dream. Kind of thought that maybe April 1st would turn to April 2nd. We'd be back to normal. It did not happen. But, Chris, there's, there's sort of a necessity in talking about these stories that I think people are concerned about some dead horse mentality here. But it's not just you and I having these conversations. It's not just people on message boards. It's not just people who are wondering about their donations to the MAC and whether or not they should buy a football season tickets. There are hundreds of student athletes and coaches on campus multiplied by 300 colleges around the country. And it all seems like it's kind of attached to one sport right now. The, the money-making sport, we got to figure out how to get football out there. And I think everybody's trying to come up with a solution because it, it, as with each passing day, it seems like it's not going to be a standard year, not going to be a normal start time, whatever it is. And everybody's trying to think of a date. We, we keep everything we've done, whether it's schools, stay at home, quarantine, sports, it's the problem so far has been, hey, it's going to be March 29th. It's going to be April 15th. Actually, now it's going to be May something. And it keeps getting pushed back. And I think people are trying to find, trying to be more realistic and actually set a date, figure out a date, or at least determine what the kind of the, the drop dead date or whatever it is where you can't turn back or, or once you get to that point, it's too late. Yeah, so... Our apologies in advance here. This is not what you want to hear about. Listen, um, the sun may shine. It may be cloudy. It may be raining where you're at right now. And your outlook may be the same for the future, too. You might have a really sunny disposition. You might be doom and gloom. Um, I can't change that. <laughs> and nobody can change that right now. I think that's the biggest bummer. There is no uh, there is no great news coming right away. All the projections are what they are. And again, I'm not going to get into that here. But I think it's irresponsible if we don't talk about what may be coming in some regard. So this is going to kind of touch on that a little bit because we are hung up on football, but again, so is the whole college athletics establishment. And it's, it's impossible to get around that right now. If they don't have a football season, it changes everything. If they have a altered football season, it doesn't change everything as much, but it still changes everything and how they get to the start line is, is really important, but also really interesting. We have a story up, uh, at our website now, and it kind of goes over some thoughts from people who I spoke with, uh, former and current college coaches, administrators, support staffers. These are people who are head coaches and assistants, um, athletic directors, associate athletic directors, operations personnel people. Um, and, and to be honest, they were reluctant to kind of give their names because, as you can understand, this is so hypothetical right now. This is so much supposition that, you know, you don't want to put your name to it because you don't want somebody coming back and saying, this person said this. He was right. She was wrong because it's not worth it right now. But again, to contribute to the conversation, I think is pretty important because it's a conversation uh, that does have to happen. But um, why is it so important? This is something else I wrote about um, would have been on Thursday and I got some feedback on it. And people who were saying I had no idea or is that serious? It's a huge number, Chris. Um, if they don't play a football season. West Virginia stands to lose, or I guess the better word would be not realize, $55 million. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. And 
as as we found out and we talked about on the message board just the other day, that $55 million is not only what covers the expenses that football incurs, but also covers the expenses for the other sports mm-hmm. uh, that West Virginia and all their universities uh, uh, take part in. So it's it's not just about football. It's about quite literally everyday life with college and, and especially athletics, but even part of the university. That's it's it doesn't come back. You're like you don't ever make that money back up unless you like win a lottery. And, and good luck to you. I hope that Shane Lyons and Gordon Gear buying scratch offs and things like that. But it doesn't come back. And more importantly, you're still going to have to pay some of those expenses. Like not everybody's going to get zeroed out, so you're going to have to pay a lot of that money to somebody. Um, and it's going to come out of some account. So you know, different different accounts are going to get hit if they don't have a season. Um, here's a, a condition too that I think a lot of people initially were were open to because it maybe guarantees that you play and perhaps guarantees that you play sooner. And that is a possibility of having no fans in the stands. And again, that seems so strange right now because of what our projections are and how, again, I'm no immunologist here, but this seems like a pretty tricky disease that can be passed quickly and innocently. So yeah, having 60,000 people together in a stadium or, you know, as many or, or more perhaps out in a parking lot, filling hotels and airports to get people to and from games, Maybe having fans at games isn't a great idea. Um, let me ask you this first. Where do you stand on that? Because so much of the experience of college football is the pageantry and the fanfare and just going to games and being part of games. You and I don't know much about that, but I'm told that's the case. But it affects games. It makes for good television. And if you have empty arenas, which is what they're proposing for college basketball tournaments, um, if you have empty venues, it's visibly, aesthetically, it's a very different experience. Well, I think people just have to kind of come to grips with it and make a decision on what they want. If you want college football, that might be the only way to watch it, and that's that's what you're going to have to deal with. And it's going to be strange. Have you watched Have you watched any of the uh, WWE, uh, you know, fanless events that they've had the last couple of weeks? I've seen a couple, not WWE. There's their minor league, so to speak, is NXT. I watched that. The other startup is AEW. I watched that. I've watched a couple um, MMA or Muay Thai things. And so I have seen it and it's wild to see someone get punched in the nose or get knocked out or to see someone hit their finisher or to see something that clearly is going to get a crowd reaction, not do it. So you wonder what happens when, you know, they throw a bomb to Sam James, he goes up, he gets it, he breaks a tackle and he runs away and it's quiet. Do, do cornerbacks still dance and cheer when they get a stop on a big tackle after the guy's already got a first down? Do they still do that? Would Richard Bryant break up a pass and shush the crowd? The answer is yes, because he always did that. But, I mean, that's, it does fundamentally change the way you play. Like, who are you shushing when you make a good play? <laughs> like, if it were, or if you make a three-pointer uh, and you shush the crowd or a student section, is that just an instinctual thing? So it changes everything, too. But that does, comes with the – go ahead, go ahead. Does West Virginia still have a hype man, a hype crowd on the side, or do they just get hyped by themselves? Uh, you know, that, that group, the hype man, like they had this past season? Yeah, like, do we still play Seven Nation Army at the worst possible times? <laughs> possible. So again, r- deep implications here, far-reaching. It's not just the fans; it's the it's the whole experience too. But again, this this is a big deal because again, fifty-five million we talked about, but a large portion of that is from tickets. Um, a home game is worth about two million dollars, sometimes more, typically more, but that's a round number. So seven home games this year, that's $14 million if you don't have fans. Um, operating expenses, 
for the game minus income, not too bad, but you're talking about chain gangs and uh, the scoreboard operators and the audio people. Um, that matters too. Um, TV's net, TV's TV networks are in charge of the broadcast and all that stuff. And so that's, but there, there is some engineering, some, some mechanical stuff that has to happen in addition to, again, who's moving the chains, who's running the scoreboard. That's important too, but not a great expense, but you're still not making money. So you're losing that money times seven. And then in addition, um, man, season tickets, uh, you're talking $395 times 28,000 last year, again, round numbers, but it's 11 million bucks. Um, so 11 million plus 14 million. If you don't have fans, that's another 25 million bucks. You're not realizing. And if again, what's, what's so weird is that for the sake of not losing 55 million, you would rather lose 25 million. Yeah. That's the uh, sacrifice tough. right now. And, and tough to see. Cause then, and then it's going to get, uh, I think you touched on this in the piece or, or said that it's going to be something looked at down the road, but also the donations and how are they going to try to implement these things? Even if they do have fans, uh, you know, are you going to limit how many fans are in the stadium? Is it going to be 20,000 instead of 60,000 or 10,000 and, and then only sell to the highest donors Are donors even going to be willing to put up the same amount of money that they usually do because of the economic issues right now. Um, obviously, a lot of people losing business and, and, and stock markets going down. A lot of these people that have the money to make these huge donations to the school, um, a lot of their money's tied up in stocks, bonds, businesses, and those are going down. Uh, are they going to be willing to you know, take some of that cash and give it to the school when they might be hurting themselves for the first time in a while? Yeah, it's kind of sobering across um, across a lot of levels. Um, that's one thing I'd like to touch on, too, because um, I just don't think they know it yet. And I don't think that fundraising is a place that's going to want to, you know, paint dark clouds above the stadium right now. So I don't I don't begrudge him for not talking about this right now. But again, this is a time where donors come into campus and watch a spring practice. There are functions that um, kind of put them on a pedestal because, you know, it's kind of a pay to play world. And they get to come in and be treated like VIPs, and rightfully so, for a weekend. And that's not happening. Um, quite likely, all the MAC fundraiser events will go away. Um, that's where you start relationships and where you burnish relationships. And that may not happen. Those are all those golf events and, and state dinners at golf courses and country clubs around the state. And, again, how are you meeting with these donors right now? You can't fly anywhere to talk them into signing a check. Um, how many of these people are – adept with zoom or want to talk on zoom and how do you get a point across over zoom that we need you now more than ever could you maybe add another zero to that check you know that's that's tricky right now and again it's just so far reaching it's really a volley yarn it's it's get or even one of those little russian nesting dolls that you open one up and there's another one in there and another one in there and another one in there except these just seem to get bigger and bigger when you when you go down the line it just seems like there's no issue that's insignificant when we're talking about the sustenance of an athletic department, but it does, it does all spin back to football. So let's spin back to our initial point here. Um, you and I have different takes on this. I believe um, I'm, I'm not canceling the season yet. I'm concerned, but I think some of the worries that I had before about how teams would rather not spend money than not make money. I just don't think that these teams can take the risk of not playing a season and the, and the overall blow. I think they'd rather take a fractional blow. So they would play even an abbreviated or, or a shortened season. I'm not, 100% sure it'll happen, but I do think it's going to be extremely altered, and I think starting on time is an extremely ambitious hope to have right now. You're slightly different? Slightly. I do think uh, there has to be, in 
opportunity or at least an understanding that it could be pushed back. I, I think I, when somebody asked me about it the other day, I pointed out that there is a whole month between the conference championship games and the bigger bowl games. And nobody needs a whole month to get ready for that. I understand that some of that has to deal with the holidays and finals, but other teams are playing, you know, two weeks later, three weeks later, or, or even sooner, right around Christmas or right during, right after finals. So it's not like it's unheard of to shorten that time. So I could see a situation where a couple games get pushed back towards the end of the year, but but then it raises the question, how, which way do you go? Do you move the non-conference games after conference games and move them to the end of the year? Do you push everything back a week I don't or two weeks? I don't know if you can really do that because that – you know, then you're moving 12 games instead of just moving, say, three. Um, and then a lot of those non-conference games are in neutral site locations. And then you got to figure out the logistics of can that game actually be played? Is that venue even open at that time? So it's going to be weird. It's going to be difficult. And uh, but I do. I, I I I feel if we're putting percentages on it, I feel a much higher percentage, I think, than you do that the season will go on. Okay, that's fair. Um, what do you think of the possibility of starting? I've seen this, and it's getting some traction. Let's say wiping out the fall, but still playing the season, and starting, you know, more in the winter, and then continuing it over the break, and then you know, you kind of maybe you give your teams, I don't know, an extended period for the holidays, whatever, but kind of like part one, part two, before and after the Christmas New Year's thing. I've seen that getting some legs. My immediate concern is like television inventory because conceivably i would imagine the nfl will be operating on a similar schedule um nba might be back nhl like how many tv openings are there for something like this well what other logistics stand in the way of something like that well there's that and then also uh, i think a lot of the talk about the re the rebound uh, i think as as you put it or bob bowlsby put it isn't the concern here that that's going to come back around next quote-unquote flu season which again would be January and February when we were talking about playing December, January, February, when we were talking about moving these games too instead of the season ending at that time. So I think that has to be concerned too. Yeah. And they're most especially worried about, and I'm, I'm not, I'm reciting, I'm not giving you my opinion here, but that September, October range, which is pretty big time for college football, which is why I think a delay or a, or a um, postponement of things does seem, that would be the cause. I think I'm not saying it's likely, but I think if it does happen, it's going to be out of the concern for that too. But um, what we have in place right now is sort of a moratorium until May 15, excuse me, May 31, where you pretty much can't do anything sports in person. They loosened up some regulations. You can have uh, actually it was two hours and now it's four hours of meeting time in the big 12, but really can't do anything else. You can't order or observe workouts. You can kind of give them instruction on how to do things. So, um, they're doing what they can. I think you'll see things loosen up as we get closer, just so teams have a little bit more time to prepare. But with that May 31 days date, the earliest you can start football is June 1. And our article that we have up there kind of outlines what people have told me is June 1, July 1, and even August 1. Um, and different different scenarios here. June 1 would be perfect because you could fit in an offseason um, adequately and maybe even sufficiently with three months. Uh, July 1... You condense it. It's not as good, but hey, it's it's a way to get to the finish line. August one is is like Junction Boys stuff, where it's not what anybody wants. But if you got to have the season, this is how you do it too. Um, should we walk people through these? What do you think of these different start dates? Uh, 
What's interesting to me is that I think you're going to find so many different takes on it, even in the coaching profession. Because I, I, I literally, as you were asking this question, I was trying to Google it, trying to find out who it was. Um, but I remember there was somebody that one of our national writers um, tweeted a quote from a current college football coach. And, and for the life of me, I cannot remember who it is. Maybe I'll find it in a minute. But that he was OK with it being August because he feels like sometimes you overtrain uh, for things. Sometimes you overpractice, overtrain, overhit. And he felt comfortable with kind of implementing uh, game plans and stuff on film, like in June and July, doing workouts remotely. And then you kind of get into August and then you can have just three, four weeks of practice. Boom, you're into the season and good to go. Yeah, it's going to require some some shifting of, again, some regulations and some rules that are in place right now, too. But if, if it's August 1, I think you probably have to say, listen, you can do 20 hours a week of online meetings. You're going to have to accelerate things, too. Um, what has to happen? What does a preseason have to look like? Let's not say how much time, but there are some things that just have to happen. Um, we can agree strength and conditioning has to happen. There has to be some sort of what they call acclimatization. So your bodies get used to it. And then you have to have basically like game week practice times two or three just so you get in that routine. Um, again, whether it's June, July 1 or August 1, what has to precede the season, do you think? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I think you just said it right there. I mean, that as far as in-person stuff, you absolutely, absolutely need at least a week or two for for training, for getting with your team and working out, making sure you're in shape because as much as you try to do at home, it's not going to cut it uh, once you get um, to actually playing on the football field and hitting, uh, getting used to the heat, playing on the field. I, I, it has and going from what, like you said, the acclimatization period, even with hitting where they come out with just helmets and then two helmets and shoulder pads and then, you know, leg pads, full pads, and then they can start hitting so you're going to need, yeah, I think uh, uh, at least three weeks minimum of in-person um, training before you can have a season. A couple of people I talked to said that um, strength coaches are going to want four weeks. Like they're just going to want that. Well, they get, I don't know, but like they're going to want that. That's just kind of what they're accustomed to. They get, what do they get in the summer, in the winter, Chris? Six weeks? Yeah. And then the spring is is a little bit different, but they're going to want four weeks. Well, they get it, I don't know, but. I think the the theory that we have in place is that if they do June one, you can kind of give them four weeks and then you can do essentially a spring practice where end of June into July or just July itself. Because remember, most teams will split their spring, which is 15 practices into 
you know, five weeks, six weeks now, if you have a spring break in the middle, but five weeks. So it would not be a lot to say June one, Hey, have 30 days, four weeks of strength and conditioning. And maybe you can do some stuff with a football, right? Um, it would seem folly at this point to say, you can't do that because this is such a unique circumstance. And then you get into July and you can basically have your spring practice. You have your OTAs where maybe five days are just helmets and maybe five days are, are full pads and you can do tackling in five days, right? You can do different things and you have, you know, 12, 14, 15, however you want to do it. And then you hit uh, August one and you're good to go. You can have your camp and you can have your preseason practice and you make things work and you can put in, what is it? 25 practices, 29 days before the start of the season. Um, that would work. Um, and that would be great because everything that we've talked about, it would be, I think everybody would agree on that. It gets a little trickier when you go to July. You want to have all those things we've talked about, you know, strength and conditioning, some sort of, a, you know, OTA environment and then practice. What do you sacrifice and how much do you sacrifice of those elements if you start July 1st? Now, I think you got to give up some of the um some of the strength and not the, but the strength part, not the conditioning part. You got to work on that. Got to give up, cut that in half. I'd say two weeks. Sorry, strength and conditioning coaches got to cut that down a little bit. Um, and to be quite honest, the hitting, I mean, that's always been something discussed even before all this, but the actual physical hitting in practices, uh, maybe limit that down some cut the, the practice portion, the fall camp portion down a week or so as well. And, and I think that's where you can, kind of get down and cut a month out. I think you'll see a lot of coaches gladly sacrifice like full padded practices and full contact practices. Cause no one's yeah. going to want to get a guy hurt in July when they got a game, you know, well, I guess I shouldn't say a game soon, but like it's going to take time out of that person's preparation. If he has to, you know, let's just say it's an ankle or it's a shoulder. If he's got to spend time on the sideline because he got popped one day in a practice, I didn't have to have in pads or with full contact. Why even have that practice? So yeah, I think you're right there. Let's con let's sacrifice some of the contact probably have to sacrifice some of the uh, strength and conditioning. Now, could you overlap or could you blend together? Could you do strength and conditioning one day and OTAs the next? Could you combine and go with two a days or something similar to two a days where perhaps one in the morning you do strength and conditioning and the afternoon you do football? Perhaps you do like a walkthrough in the morning and like a practice in the evening. Those are things you probably have to consider just to get the most out of limited time. I think, yeah, I think that has to be considered. And I also, with the remote stuff, anything you can do remotely. Uh, you already mentioned that they've, they've moved it from two hours to four hours for these kind of meetings and, and, and such. At some point, they're going to have to just kind of make it a, a free-for-all and, and give guys full opportunity for remote strength and conditioning classes with their strength and conditioning coaches, remote meetings, uh, full-on, uh, you know, watching film from last year, looking at schemes, going over playbooks. And because – if, if you're stuck at home and you're trying to social distance, you're trying to stay away, you have to make do with what you got. And this is all stuff that you can do remotely. And right now they're kind of limited by that four hour window from the NCAA. So I think they're going to have to completely and totally open that up soon. Yep. And that seems to be what people have told me too, is that they say, you know what, May 31st is not it. We're going to go June 30th. They're, they're going to have to make changes to that effect because it's just not fair. And like, you have to make the best of a bad situation. So I think what you say there is perfect. Um, imperfect starting august 1st um i don't know how they do this and and this just seems to me them saying we have no other choice we gotta play um august 1st would be extremely hard you would condense and sacrifice and it just seems like they would say to the coaches be smart but make it work 
how bad is that football going to be, you think, those first couple weeks? Can you imagine being a first-year coach right now who had, at best, a limited spring? Like, if you're... Mike Norville at Florida State? Probably not going to be a complete picture when you take the field in Atlanta, right? Yeah. Um, imagine, like, if you are if you got new coordinators, stuff like that. West Virginia is... No, nah, I shouldn't say hurting because Gerard, Gerard, Jared Parker is new, um, but it's new and didn't really have a chance to learn the offense. But I don't think it's necessarily his offense. But to the same effect, he didn't have a chance to learn what Neil Brown wants to do. And they didn't get a chance to put, you know, on the field what they talked about in meetings and paper and on paper very much. So that's going to be a catch up. But if you're a new first year coach, if you're Colorado, if you are Michigan State, if you're Florida State, man, you're you're probably not feeling great right now. And if you're like an extreme example, like Michigan State or Colorado that lost your coach late in the process, um, I don't want to say doomed, but I would be paying attention to DraftKings early <laughs> often during the season. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, you're looking at sloppy football, minimal instruction, probably a ton of things like just penalties because you're just not refined to you know block that holding or cover that interference. It's going to be bad football, but – Man, weren't they doing this like 20 years ago anyway? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, everybody just kind of showed up and went through two-a-days for, what, three, four weeks, and then just the season started. So I don't see why it can't work, um, but I think it will be noticeable to uh, you know to people who – especially people who pay attention to the sport of football for a living uh, that it's different, and it might not be quite as pretty. Yeah, that's a word. Not as pretty. I think so. Yeah. Um, but again, hamstrings, um, lungs, ankles, uh, your brain, just because how much are you throwing in there at once and trying to retain it's It's going to be a circus. And then non-conference football is going to be completely volatile. You'll see wild outcomes because um, a team that's superior may just not be ready. And the other team may have done better in their limited time and it's just more prepared or just takes advantage of mistakes. And, you know, who knows what happens? It's wild. It's a hard thing to imagine. But again, if you, if the alternative is losing $55 million, um, I think everybody would take an August one start date and just finding a way to make it work. And again, you'd have to relax some rules. You might have to go two days. You might have to allow for more than 20 hours a week or three hours a day, just because not extreme, not saying let's go from 20 to unlimited, but maybe 20 to 25, um, maybe an extra hour on the field every other day, something like that, because I just don't know how you make up all the time you would lose in June and July. And then how do you mesh that with strength and conditioning? Because I think we agree that's a staple, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, I don't know how to, because I'll be, I'll be blunt here. I, I think the strength and the strength and conditioning coaches will probably tell you the same thing. They may not say it on the record, but you can't trust all of your players to do the work that you give them mm-hmm. at home. They can't do it on their own. That is why you have strength and conditioning coaches. That's why you have a whole staff of people there pushing them. That's why West Virginia has accountability teams to have guys looking over their shoulders, pushing them, making sure they're doing what they're supposed to. And when guys, 110 guys are spread out in 110 different houses and cities and all over the country and they get their little workbooks and it says, do all this, I can guarantee even some of the best players are going to take a couple days and go, eh, eh, really, you know what? I'm going to go watch Breaking Bad instead, or I'm going to go play Fortnite instead for just a little while longer. And and they're not going to do it. So it's it's one of those things where I, I said before, hey, you got to do it at home. 
but you also can't trust that these college age kids are going to do it at home. So it's important to kind of get it in person. So that's how we view June one, July one, August one, June one is our next one on the calendar, but as, as it seems clear, as um, uh, it's kind of told to me too, they're going to have to know by the middle of May, if June one is reasonable, because it's going to take you a week, 10 days to get everything up and running. So you can start on June 1st. You got to get players back to campus. You got to get food and, and supplements ordered and on hand. You got to unpack stuff and prep things. Uh, it's the tech has to work. And just, there's a ton of things that have to happen. It's not like May 31st, they can say green light go and everybody's out in the field the next day. So we'll know, you know, in six weeks where things stand, but I guess at this point, you just kind of cross your fingers and hope the future looks bright. Speaking of future and bright, Chris, um, Recruiting makes the world go round, of course. Everything kind of spins back to recruiting, just like our conversation about college sports spins back to football. Um, this is changing a little bit. Currently in place is a new kind of moratorium that replaces an old date. We went from April 15th to it held to the May 31st rule, too, correct? Right. So, so it previously, changed there, right? Yeah. So before this kind of March and into the middle of April, was a quiet period, but recruits could visit campus, and a lot of them did. You know, the end of March was supposed to be a big visit weekend for West Virginia. A lot of kids, that's when South Florida schools, public schools, go on spring break. There were a handful of recruits that were supposed to come up, and then other spring breaks happen over the next two weeks when guys just start showing up to campus. And then from April 15th through May 31st, uh, previously was the evaluation period. That's when the coaching staff gets out on the road and sees recruits in person, watches quarterbacks, extends new offers, all of that kind of stuff. Now, that's what was just extended uh, is now a dead period all the way mm. through the end of May. Huge. And, yeah, that's that kind of kills your evaluation. You have to trust what you see on film. You have to trust what you've seen previously. But the next couple steps is what's going to be the biggest factor in recruiting. And, and never more true than with this team now. I mean – I looking back at the commitment list for last season, you can run through it and almost every single player on that list, actually every single player on that list at one point was seen in person by the coaching staff. And now wow. you just got rid of the evaluation period and you might lose camp season because June is a huge camp season. Um, and a lot of those guys they saw in camp. I mean, la it, a year ago, last June, David Acoli was a, a sprinter. It was a, a state track champion that had a couple small school football offers, no star rating, no nothing. And he shows up to West Virginia's camp, looks absolutely amazing, gets an offer on the spot. A ton of other schools jump in the mix. He gets a four-star rating from 24-7 Sports, and he is the highest-rated kid in West Virginia's class. And that it, he didn't get good because he was at camp, but West Virginia found him because he came to camp. I'm not sure he would have got an offer. I mean, he might have later, but it, you know, that was key. That June camp was key, and it was key for so many guys. Uh, Victor Wickstrom, the 2021 tight end. Yeah. Uh, Jairo Fabris, like all these guys, like you're not seeing these guys from Europe unless they come to camp in June. And that same group was planning on coming to Morgantown again this summer. Are they still? We don't know. And so if that gets pushed back, I think it's going to raise – all sorts of questions about what to do because the way the schedule is now is that June 1st through June 21st is an open or a quiet period, but that's when the camps are. And West Virginia is going to have several one-day camps and the seven-on-seven -seven tournament during that time. 
And then there's a dead period from June 22nd to July 24th. It, maybe you flip that. I don't know if, if you can, if the logistics will work with that, if schools can kind of change that up on the fly. Um, but maybe you kind of extend that vet dead period in through the rest of June and then try to have recruits come in July, just giving you an extra four weeks of cushion. I, I don't know how that works, but it, it's, these summer months are so huge for recruiting. It, it can't be understated. I mean, I remember we even went through um, that what first week of July, I think I did a whole story that just changed on the wild few weeks that had come before. And it was West Virginia had picked up six new commits, uh, lost their top rated commit at the time, Aaron Lewis to Michigan. Uh, another commit went public in Zach Frazier. Uh, a ton of new offers went out. So it's just, it's too important for recruiting to lose that entire summer. And how do you move it? I mean, can you, is it mobile? Does it work in the calendar? Can it just be shifted back? I think the only option is the one I just mentioned where you just yeah. kind of, cause you look at it, June's basically open except for the last week. And then July is basically closed is a, is a dead period except for the last week. I think if I were in charge, I'd be preemptive about it. If I were NCAA, I'd be preemptive about it and I'd make the switch. Now I would switch the dead period from July to June and make all of July from July 1st to July 31st, or maybe July 1st to like July 26th, um, a recruiting period. And then that gives that 27 and then the 27th on is dead, giving coaches a chance to kind of switch gears back into let's get ready for fall camp. Assuming that's what's next. Well, let's put one topic on top of another here, too. We just spent a lot of time talking about June 1, July 1, August 1, too. What if a July 1 or a June 1 start day comes and your newly suggested uh, open evaluation period and recruiting period is in July, too? How do you reconcile doing both at once? That's intentionally not happening right now because you got to give coaches time to go out and do stuff. But that may be the choice they're left with, though, is having to, you know, at the same time, recruit and also coach on the field. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to figure it out. They they obviously aren't holding camps in March and April, but typically, you know, they're trying to coach spring football. They're trying to coach their team and find out who's going to be starting, setting depth charts, uh, developing the current roster. But they're also hosting recruits at literally every single spring practice. It is pretty standard. Uh, you know, 15 practices or 14 practices in a spring game, I can guarantee that there is a recruit – at at least 13 of them and probably all 15. So juggling both is not unheard of. Um, obviously if you try to throw camps in there, that's a different yeah. animal, but um, you know, you'll, this is unprecedented times. You got You got to figure something out. And I think um, we've seen the staff do that adjust on the fly. Like I I've discussed before with the new February dead period and how they instituted junior days, the day that, official visits for seniors were ending and somehow pulled it both off. So I think this staff could do that if they were forced to. Chris, I follow you on Twitter, as you know. Uh-huh. I saw some recruits uh, at you with mentions of things that are going on. Um, purely coincidental, I'm sure. Uh -huh. uh, but we had talked and other people had talked about not really seeing a whole lot of stuff um, as far as what the university was doing. Um, because a lot of people are getting recruits to commit and to go public about their stuff or more importantly is to say you know i just got off the off of zoom with so and so and so and so we hadn't seen a lot of that from west virginia uh, apparently it is happening that's a good sign what are you finding out as far as how 
West Virginia keeps the recruiting business going during this, I don't know, indifferent period right here. Well, yeah, you're right. I had several recruits be like, yeah, hey, uh, just got off FaceTime with Coach Brown, just got off FaceTime with, uh, you know, this assistant coach, that assistant coach. And what I've really taken away from it is that these coaches, especially with recruits that they've known for a while, uh, guys that have already visited, guys that they've talked to for months or even a year or two, is that these conversations are personal conversations. They are not about recruiting it's how how's life? How are you? Are you staying safe? Is your family good? That kind of thing, like truly trying to show that, you know, that they care and that they care about them as a person, not just as some commodity that might help their football team later. And it seems like a lot of these recruits are, are taking that to heart and it means something to them. And and that's important, you know, not just for recruiting purposes, but you know, for humanity. It's nice that uh, people are actually caring about another one another. And, and recruits have been mentioning that uh, every time I've spoken with them. That's why I'm a roll here. We probably should have ended on that because that's definitely what I'm going to clip and put in the VOD request. <laughs> but um, I think it's fair to say that schools and kids are going to make mistakes in the signing class coming up um, just because you're not going to get the full experience. You may not be able to take all five of your visits. You may want to know more about a school that you just don't have enough um time or opportunities available to do and the evaluation is going to be difficult so again maybe school sign a kid and the kid says nah and maybe school sign a kid and the the school says got that one wrong but we're probably going to see some turnover this seems to me like it's the last push that's going to get the needed change to the 25 per year rule there had been a talk about i think i want to say maybe in june and july about a change formally coming where it would be, I forget what exactly it is, but something along the lines of what Neil Brown has suggested where I don't know, you can go over by 10 in three years, but you know, you got to make sure that you're not over 25 in any year. So um, it seems to me it's coming and this would only accelerate it. You think that's a fair, I don't know, silver lining that perhaps that bad rule goes out of the way because it, it just seems inevitable that teams are going to be forced and kids are going to be forced into making mistakes this year that really shouldn't be the fault of either due to these circumstances. Absolutely. And I've spoken with uh, fathers, coaches, high school coaches um, about the current situation and, and other analysts as well about what's happening. All these guys are, are committing right now. And part of it is I honestly believe that some of them are, are bored, uh, but more of them are really just trying to make sure in these uncertain times to get something that's certain that they, they visited some of these schools. They aren't committing to schools that they've never seen or that they don't talk to a lot. It's they're committing to a school that that is their favorite, but maybe they were originally planning on visiting some other schools before they made it official. And now that's not really an option. And if you don't know if you're going to be taking other visits or what's going to happen or what the school situation is going to be, or if there's even going to be football, or if you're going to be able to play your senior year, you know, you don't even know if you can go to the camps at certain schools or you're going to play. If, If I were advising a recruit right now, if I were a kid's father or coach, in this situation, I would tell them to jump on the commitment to their favorite school right now, and then we'll figure it out later. Uh, I, I I know no one likes decommitments and flips and all this other shenanigans, but again, you, you don't have much of a choice right now. You, you play around. You don't know what's going to happen in six months. You don't know if any opportunities are going to be there. That's usually the case in a normal year, but with all that's going on, it's going to be even more true. So I think there are a lot of guys that are jumping on commitments before they're ready, 
granted probably to schools that they like right now. And there are going to be some decisions, like you said, later on both sides. There's going to be like, oh, we really rushed into that, but didn't have much of a choice. And NCAA is going to have to kind of give some leeway on some of these hard and fast hard cap rules. Yeah, necessary evil at this point, but it's going to have to happen. You wish that the change came about more logically than a situation like this, but a change I needed all the less. And I'll tell you, I, I shake my head listening to what you're talking about there about I have no idea how these coaches do this every year. And now, you know, really twice a year with the different recruiting cycles because kids make decisions and now they're going to make them under odd circumstances. And boy, um, you know, I don't envy them. I envy their paychecks. I don't envy the work. <laughs> well, that's all right. They're all going to just, you know, work for nothing, right? That's how we're going to make out. Uh, make it out of this. The football department's going to make it out of this. Everybody's working for free. <laughs> Nobody is. I don't see that happen. No. Uh, all right. Well, let's wrap it up here. Uh, again, not not a story for everybody. I think we have something for for anybody at some time. So, so um, maybe this is or isn't your cup of tea. But I think it gives you an idea of what people are talking about. Um, you know, not in meeting rooms necessarily because no one's allowed in the same space anymore. But video conferences, phone calls. Uh, these are the things that are happening. People are talking about this because they got to be ahead of it before it happens and i think we have some idea now and kind of an evolving story so i will do my part keep you up to speed on things as they happen as they go and chris you have your your contributions as well here which as you just laid out are, are pretty important to the overall picture here too um story we got to tell right yep absolutely and we'll, and we'll keep it coming like you said we're gonna the the story will evolve and so will our coverage with it and, and but we will try to keep you up to date on everything uh, that is going on, particularly with West Virginia, just to keep you covered during this time. All right, let's wrap it up then. That is all for this time. We will see you next time for earsports.com. I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.